DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by our college football insider, former Utah State quarterback, Riley Jensen. Riley, good morning. Hey, what's happening, fellas? There are many things happening, but why don't we start with your alma mater where there has been a coaching change just three games into the season. Of course, they weren't just three losses. They were three demoralizing losses where they're blown out every time. Uh, Were you a little surprised, not at all surprised? I can't imagine you were a lot surprised. Um, I I don't think I was a lot surprised, Um, a, a little surprised, mostly at the timing, right? So I thought I thought maybe this would be thought maybe this would be the last year, especially if it continued along the route that it was on. Um, but not completely surprised. So I look there was there were some things that I that I knew about that you know that that were indicators that maybe things weren't weren't great, and then there was things that I didn't know about that uh, indicated that they wanted to speed up the process. So. It's it's always interesting when it comes to these sorts of things. Um, the, the reason why you fire when you fire, the reason that you're trying to get it together. I mean, maybe they're maybe they're hoping to do a national search. Maybe they're hoping to get as many candidates in and really interview the people and really have like a good process so that they can get the best possible coach. And you know, it's, it's, in some ways, it's a little bit of a different process this year because of COVID and because these teams are, you know, just playing real quickly that um, they kind of need to get on top of it. Because although this feels like it was only three games into the season, it's really, you know, what are we, November 11th today? And, you know, that's that's where I think that uh, where, where the timing aligns is that it's really about, you know, the timing of getting another recruiting class in, making sure that everything's good to go with whoever the new coach is going to be and that they're able to get the recruiting class in that they want and start and start heading in the right direction. So two years ago, you're winning 11 games. How did it get to this point? <laughs> That's a tough question because I'll tell you where, I'll tell you where I was, where I started like really scratching my head last year is when Woody went out as a middle linebacker, the defense was completely different. Like, it, was, it wasn't even close. Um, obviously, we, we still had a quarterback, and we had some of those things, but the defense was just not was not good. And I, that's where I really started to notice the depth, and I don't know if that's a result of, you know, the last coaching staff leaving them with not as much as they want or Gary not being able to get the players in that he wanted in the beginning. But right now, if I were to be critical of Utah State, I'd be critical of the depth. The depth is what's concerning to me. Um, and, and in some ways, we've taken a step back even where some of the starters are. There's, there's some starters that are playing right now that I'm scratching my head going, okay, in the last 10 years, we've had two 11 and two seasons. We've been to, I think, nine bowl games. Utah State has played at a at probably the highest level of football they've played ever. And some of these players look a little bit more like the players that were starting when I was playing. And I, I'm not trying to rip on my teams because uh, they were okay. You know what I mean? But it's, I used to look out at a Utah State football team and I'm like, oh, man, we look like a Division One team. 
I don't feel that way this year when I look at some of the players that are starting. So there's a thought among some of the people I talk to that the Mountain West has done a poor job of switching up the crossover games and that one set of crossover games is way harder than the other and that 3-9 and are 0-3. It's no mistake that they come four years apart because they're back to this nasty crossover schedule. And it's not an accident the way the 9, 10, and 11 win teams show up because they're getting cake schedules. How much of this is scheduled and driven and cyclical because the way the Mountain West has divvied things up? Well, I think, I think it is cyclical a little bit, but if you're a good team, you don't care about cyclical. If you're, if you're a good football, do you think Boise State, San Diego State, Fresno State, who are typically up there at the top of the Mountain West Conference, do you think they care like what the crossover looks like? They don't care. They just go and win games. So, yeah, I mean, you, you can use it as an excuse if you want to. And, when I mean, when I saw the schedule come out for the University of Utah and for Utah State, I was like, ooh, that's not a good schedule for Utah State. And I was like, ooh, that's a pretty good schedule for Utah. So, so yeah, do I do I think the schedule is tougher? No question. But if if you're one of the better teams, you certainly don't care about who you're crossing over with, and you certainly compete a lot harder than than what Utah State's competed uh, in the last three games. So, uh, to me, yeah, you you can make all the excuses you want, but Utah State's not where they were two years ago, and I and it's just hard to get a grasp on how it could slip away that quick. I agree 100%. Uh, looking at the coaching situation, I'm of the belief that the schools in our state are best served by getting someone who has some tor- some form of a local tie. doesn't necessarily have to be a tie to that particular school, a la Gary Anderson when he first went to Utah State, but has to have a local tie. Best served. I mean, you can go outside and still do very well. But when I look at the best production – except for Urban Meyer's uh, hurricane that blew through town for a couple of seasons. Other than that, the best guys have had some some kind of local connection and understood what they were getting into. What do you think of that? Well, I, I think it helps. I, I don't think there's any question that this needs to be a hire that understands the LDS community. This is a hire that needs to understand the Polynesian community. This is a, this is a hire that needs to understand where to get what players. And so when you're talking about local ties, you know, those those coaches usually understand those three things fairly well. Um, you know, it feels like to me that Lavelle Edwards understood the LDS athlete, the Polynesian athlete. He understood how to tie things in together really, really well. When Ron McBride started to win, he – he basically replicated the the same thing that Lavelle Edwards was doing, and that's when he started beating Lavelle every once in a while and, and making that into a sort of a rivalry there. And then I think Urban was only there for a couple of years, so it was already really established through Ron McBride. And then obviously Kyle Winningham understands that kind of stuff. So Kyle has done a great job, and if you go to his recruiting pitches, I mean, he literally talks about the diversity. He talks about one-third African-American, one-third Polynesian, one-third white kids on the team. He talks about the LDS missionaries. He talks about all those different things. Now, Kyle has evolved on that where maybe he doesn't 
take as many in, in-state kids, but he still built it on that foundation. And I think guys like Jay Hill at Weaver State have replicated that. I think Kalani's replicated that. I think Gary Anderson and Matt Wells, their first times through, really replicated that. And I, th- I do think that that's important to understand um, that that those are that's a winning formula for the state of Utah. And you know, other teams are making it a little bit more difficult for Kyle Winningham because they're coming in after the top players in the state. But I think where that's really benefited some teams is Kyle's had to go out of state to get some of his his big players or the players that he really wants. But that has left BYU, Utah State, and Weaver State, and even Southern Utah to a certain degree, um, the ability to use that formula and win, and, and win a lot. I mean, Jay Hill, I mean, you know, I know it's just in Ogden, and I know that it's, you know, just just up the road here. But you're talking about a quarterfinal and a semifinal. I mean, top four team in the country two years in a row. I mean, he's he's doing the right things. Now, I'm not making a push either way. But if Jay Hill was there, I think that would be a great hire. If if Morgan Scally was there, I think that would be a great hire. If Ed Lamb was there, I think that would be a great hire. If Grimes was there, I think – I mean, I think a lot of those guys that you're talking about that are local, Aaron Roderick, I think he would be a great hire. I think all of those guys understand what it takes to win in the state of Utah, and everything's relative. I mean, Weber and Southern Utah are relative to their conference. Utah State's relative to their conference. BYU's relative to their independence. But that formula seems to be working. So I I, I think you're right. I think, I think a local tie would be great. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if Hartwell goes out to that um, that national, there's 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 kind of a national firm that helps you hire coaches, and he landed big with Craig Smith um, in the basketball program. Now I think basketball is way different than football for a lot of different reasons. We could do a whole different show on that, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he opens this up to a national search as well. So the Utes are getting ready to kick off against uh, UCLA, and I don't know if you can tell us anything about this game because Kyle said that they're getting scout team guys ready, and of course we don't know which players, we don't know which position groups have been hit the hardest. So are you just going to go flying blind in this UCLA game? If for no other reason UCLA's playing their second game and you're supposed to improve the most the week from one to two, from one to two and this will be the Utes opener, and we don't know which you players are playing. So are you just going to turn on the TV and enjoy football and not try to figure it out? Yeah, I think I am, and I, I actually think, uh, and I, I'm, I listen, I have no inside information here, but I think that's almost the way that the Utes have to turn this in their head, right? Like, they've missed one game. The rumors that I'm hearing, and this is all just rumor stuff, <clears throat> is that for every single game missed, it costs $5 million yes. to each program. That's true. Uh, you, you're getting that through the echo chamber because their, their AD came on the air and said a Pac-12 TV game is worth $5 million. Just in the TV. Not set aside whatever yeah. you get at the gate and concessions and all that, but just in the TV contract. And that's yeah, so, straight out of Mark so, Harlan's mouth. Okay. So I, and, and I'd heard that from other places, but that's okay. I'm glad, I'm glad that it's – but to me – now, if you're Kyle and you're looking at this, you're like, well, we don't want to lose out on that money, right? Sure, I'll play the scout team. I don't care. This season doesn't mean anything to me. It's a shortened season. It doesn't matter. 
let's just get guys on the field and go from there. Now, I don't know how many guys have COVID-19. I don't know how many guys are just hurt. I, I have no idea what's going on up there. But to me, at a certain point as a coach, and the, the only thing that throws this theory back in my face is obviously Gary Anderson is, I mean, it, you you have to have a pretty convincing story to fire somebody during COVID-19. And I just don't think Kyle Winningham's, I mean, he just signed, he just re-signed. There's no way that he's going to lose his job over a bad COVID season. And so to me, I think he's just like, well, let's just put whatever we can. Let's build some depth here. And let's get ready for next year. Because they've already missed one game, right? He doesn't want to miss out on the money that's going on. And, I, and I'm not saying that he would ever put the health of the players, and I'm talking about COVID and those sorts of things. I, I, there's no way that he would ever do something like that. But if he feels like he can field the team and it's less than desirable, I think he'll do it this year. It means too much money to the program. It means too much money to a lot of different things. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this is just one of those seasons where you just need to enjoy the fact that there's football on and that there's some semblance of, of, of regularity and kind of move forward into next year and maybe get excited about some of these walk-ons or somebody that actually can make a play in a big game and then move forward. Yeah, that's exactly the way I view it. I mean, I already think the race in the Pac-12 is bogus. You can't win a division, in my mind, only playing five games. <laughs> that's, and that's exactly, at best, is what's going to happen for Utah, what's going to happen for Cal, and we know the games that have been canceled with the possibility of more to come. So why not just use this season as a preparatory to next year and get as many guys out there as you possibly can to give them experience going forward to next year because it's really hard for me to look at it and say, wow, you went 4-1. and one. You're a divisional winner. Right. I, I, I can't get behind that. It, do, it doesn't make any sense. And, um, you know, from everything that I'm reading and looking at, the Pac-12 is much more stringent on whether – you can play that week or not. Right, it right? is. And some yeah, other conferences. Yeah. So it's kind of like, as a coach, it, in some ways it's a no-win situation. You just kind of throw your hands in the air and go, well, look, I already know what I'm getting out of all my starters, and I know what I have coming back. And there may be some guys that I play because I want them to get a little bit better. But why not play some younger guys? Why not find out you know, how this guy plays under pressure? Because it, it's the best way to simulate pressure for young guys right now is these games. And you already know what some of your older guys can do under pressure and in in game situations. So why not build the program? So did BYU surprise you the way they completely annihilated Boise State in that third quarter? I mean, they already had the upper hand, but then they just blew it wide open. Yes, completely, completely surprised. I think it's a combination of two things. BYU's even better than I thought they were. And I don't think Boise is as good as they have been. Now, I'm not saying that's not a good team. So don't, before BYU fan drives off the road listening to this, I'm not trying to take away from the win at all. Because sure. I thought it was, it was <laughs> an annihilation, right? But I, I don't feel like this is a Boise team in their front seven that's been as physical and as punishing as some teams have been. Now, that could be a result of, of how good BYU is. But, man... It's it's a really fun brand of football that BYU's playing right now. And to watch Zach Wilson play at the level that he's playing, I mean, I have to go back just like I did last week and just I, – I kind of thought it through just even a little bit more about Aaron Roderick and why 
I think he deserves so much credit. And one of the reasons why I think he deserves so much credit is because I think it takes a very confident and seasoned coach to allow a quarterback to play like Zach Wilson is playing. Because the fact of the matter is Zach is being Zach, and he is as authentic and he is as as good as he can be right now because he's allowed to play that way. He's allowed to make an underhand throw. He's allowed to make a sidearm throw. He's allowed to jump over the top of a defender. And that's not easy for a coach to accept because if that goes wrong on you, everybody's like, why in the world would they let Zach Wilson do that, right? And then all of a sudden they start looking at coaches and they're like, why, why would you let him do that? Well, when it's going well, it's great. You know what I mean? But somebody has to allow him to play like that to begin with. And I think the more and more I'm looking at it, Aaron Roderick deserves a lot of credit for allowing Zach to be Zach. Zach is a football player, and and to be honest with you right now, and look, my brothers kill me a little bit because they're not as as big of BYU fans, but they're like, oh, this love affair with Zach Wilson, Riley. What's your deal? I'm just telling you, if I could draw up a quarterback right now, that's exactly how it looks. I mean, that's exactly how it looks. He can make all the throws. He can throw on the run. He can run for He could. Pro, they could probably run him a ton, but they don't. But he beats you with his feet within the context of the offense. I mean, I, I don't think you can draw it up better. Now, whether he'll win the Heisman, who freaking cares? I, I, think, he's, I think he's a first-round draft pick. If he's not, he's going high in the second round. And this kid is off to the races, and he's going to have an opportunity to play in the NFL for a long time. He's Riley Jensen. He's our college football insider. Aggie coaching change. Utes losing guys left and right. BYU has got a first-round quarterback. There you go. A few hot takes. Way to go, Riley. (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us. I think you guys led me into that. Thanks for throwing me some softballs. No problem. We'll talk to you next week. (laughs) Thanks, guys.